1: Try that again. Paul's love for that messed up church in Corinth was a great model of the Lord Jesus' love for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. It's about the time we think we got it right, then we're walking in pride and we're, we're, we're messed up in that area. In all of this, we look at this church, we understand, even in the midst of all that mess, and the apostles' great love for it, Because he understood and knew that it wasn't going to be them that changes. it's going to be the work of God in them that's going to bring about a glorious change.
0: Pastor David teaches about the many issues that Paul addressed, but how does this help a Christian? What do we benefit from studying the Apostle Paul's leadership of the Corinthian church? It helps because Paul is an example of Christ's love for all people. Paul loved the church and he called them to God's standard, even when it brought conflict or required tough leadership. God loves us through our mistakes and loves us too much to leave us to the destruction of sin. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, A Time of Reconciliation.
1: We who declare that we've been forgiven so much all too often fail to forgive others. Even when repentance is shown, sometimes we're just slow or, or we just fail to restore them back into the fold of God's love and His church. You've failed twice already. We're not going to take you back. Uh, or either that or we adopt the uh, uh, the three strikes and you're out kind of a thing. How many times do I forgive my brother, Lord, Seven times? That's a real holy number, seven. And what did Jesus tell Peter? No, Peter, you got it all wrong. Seventy times seven and we get out our calculators and we figure okay, seventy times seven, how many is that? Okay, man, you're working on it because you got 390 so. Now, again, the forgiveness. How how often do we forgive? How often has the Lord forgiven you? Okay? Let's just put it that way. How long, how often has the Lord forgiven you? In whatever culture... In whatever time period we find ourselves, the church needs to be the church. We need to be seen as the bride of Christ. We need to be seen as that city on a hill. We need to be seen as salt and light to a lost and a dying culture. And if we're unable to do that, it's because we're acting and responding too much like the world rather than the peculiar people we're called to be. Therefore, we, as the church, we need to be led by the Word of God, we need to be drawn by the Holy Spirit of God to be living in the world and yet not swayed by popular culture. What did Jesus say? Lord, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. Just keep them from being a, a part of that world. You see, we're to be in this world. We're to be salt and light. And the only way that salt and light works is when the candle is lit and when the salt is applied. So we're to be in the culture. The culture isn't supposed to be in us. We need to be loving people and yet not accepting of sin. And though the world says, well, that's not loving for you because you're not accepting their lifestyle, you and I need to stand fast, no matter how many times the world tells us that and says, no, you're wrong because I do love them, but I don't accept That lifestyle. I don't accept that choice. But I love them. And I'll die for them. I'll out man, will I'll take a bullet for them. But I do not accept their lifestyle. And you see, the world is going to continue to pound and pound and pound. And beloved, you know it because it's more so today than it was 15 or 20 years ago, and the, the, the cry of our culture that says, no, you need to accept any and all lifestyle is louder and louder and louder to the point that even churches today are accepting of lifestyles that the Word of God says, no man, you don't, know. that's not acceptable within the kingdom of God. Oh, and by the way, I'm not talking just homosexuality. I'm talking about the variety of lifestyles of sin that are acceptable in the world that the church should never accept. At the same time, loving without accepting sin, and at the same time, forgiving, and yet not inclusive of sinful lifestyles. It's a hard line to draw. Just like for the church in Corinth, it was a hard line for them to draw. Personally, I do. I believe that they love that brother for whatever reason. Whether he was, like I said, a big tither or just he he was a nice guy. Because I believe that it grieved them to do that. And it's sometimes hard to draw that line. But you know what? You don't draw it. It's the Word of God that draws it. And they need to understand that. Well, our church doesn't believe in that. You know what? I don't care what your church believes in. Because from one church to another, that line's going to move all over the place. Well, you know, I wasn't raised that way. Well, you know what? The guy right next to you was raised totally different. And that's not going to be the standard either. The standard that we have is God's Word. And that's what we need to hold on to. Let's move on. Otherwise, you'll never get finished with this section. Here in, here in Second Corinthians chapter 2, Paul goes on. Okay, verse 12. Furthermore, Paul writes, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So, in just a short couple of verses, Paul gets back to the response to really the Christian's concern as to why he hadn't kept his word to come and visit them. He had started this letter out, speaking back in chapter 1 with that dialogue, back in chapter 1, look at verse 15. He says, and in this confidence, I intended to come to you before, but that you might have a second benefit to pass by you by way of Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and and be helped by you on my way to Judea. And then down in verse 23 of chapter 1, he goes back to the same issue. Moreover, I call God as my witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. There was these major issues that that needed to be dealt with, and I believe Paul wanted to deal with these things from a distance rather than in person And that would simply allow the parties to to think and and pray through the situation. One of the things I I use in counseling a lot of times when there's an issue going on between two people, particularly two brothers or sisters in Christ, stop someday and just write these things out. No, don't send an email. But write them out in a letter that you can look over and that you can change and you can edit and you can remove and throw away the first two or three copies and then finally you, you come to where you're speaking the heart of God to the situation. And then once you're satisfied in that writing that, man, that's that's the heart of God, that's not my anger, that's not my pride speaking, that's the heart of God. Then you send that out and then that allows that other person then time to respond again with the heart of God. They may read it the first time and get all flustered and infuriated and, and if it were a vocal thing they might respond in a way that again flares up the situation but when it's a written thing they have time to pause. And again particularly as a brother or sister in Christ who wants to do this right thing they have time to to ponder these things. And so I believe Paul is kind of a, a man I wanted to come but I, but I dared not come at, at that time because the situation was so intense. The beginning of chapter 2, he he kind of continues on. Back in verse 1, which we read earlier, he says, "...I had determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me?" So it's from here that we see this dialogue that we just went over in verses uh, 5 through 11 and reference that brother that's sinning. So, you know, he kind of went from, hey, I, I was going to come and see you, but I uh, didn't come. But, oh, hey, by the way, that guy that I told you to, you know, remove from the fellowship, well, you need to get him back. And now he's coming back to this thing of why he hasn't been there. And from that discussion, he, he now returns to the issue of not returning to Corinth. You would think that Paul had a little bit of ADD, right? You know? That attention deficit syndrome. Yeah, I don't think you'd be far from the truth because when you look at Paul's writings sometimes, he's over here and he's saying something, then all of a sudden, boom, he's over here saying something over here, and he's saying something over here, and all of a sudden, squirrel, you know, he's over here. He, he's right, it, it's kind of like you know, the trial lawyer, he's giving the closing arguments to the judge, and all of a sudden, he hears a Harley Davidson out in the parking lot, and he's talking, Well, Your Honor. Suddenly he's drawn attention. It's kind of like a cop that uh, again he's standing at a a real intense time with an armed intruder, and all of a sudden he looks. Oh, are those donuts on the counter? Uh, You know. So it's kind of like that, kind of an issue. Uh, You guys can share that with Mike if you. (laughs) Well, sometimes we see Paul kind of jump this the same way. Anyway, back to the point. Verse twelve. Furthermore, when I came to Troas. To preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave from them, I departed from Macedonia. Troas, Greek city, located on the northwestern shore of what is now Turkey, right along the Aegean Sea. Now, to understand the geography of the whole thing, or the topography, or if I had a map I'd show you, if you had over here Turkey and Troas here, then there is a landmass that comes around over here to Macedonia, and then going way down here, down at the bottom, would be where Corinth is. Paul had determined at one time he was going to leave from Troas and just sail down to Corinth first, and then make his way up to Macedonia, and then from Macedonia, make his way back to Corinth and then from Corinth sail over to Jerusalem to bring the gift to the saints. That's what he told him he was going to do, but that got all messed up because of a variety of things. So he's talking this deal that, man, I I came to Troas. I expected to see Titus there because Titus was the one who had brought the message from Paul to the church in Corinth. He was hoping that, uh, that again, Titus would be coming back to Troas. Paul could find out what's going on on in Corinth with that information of how things were going in Corinth, then he could go down to Corinth. But when he got to Troas, Titus wasn't there. And so, man, I I was stressed out. I don't think he was stressed out because Titus wasn't there. I think he was stressed out because he didn't know what was going on in Corinth. And so instead of jumping into something he wasn't really sure of, he said, instead, I departed, I, I, I went to Macedonia. Paul had no rest in his spirit. He didn't want to go there if there was still a mess going on. He wanted to hear the report first. You need to realize, man, what a love Paul had for a very messed up church. When you see all the stuff that's going on here, yet Paul says, man, I didn't want to go to you with a, with a bad attitude. I, I didn't want to make you sorrowful by coming in and jumping on these things. I, I, I wanted to wait. I wanted to hear what was going on. His love for that messed up church, that's a great model of the Lord Jesus' love for us. Amen? Let me try that again. Paul's love for that messed up church in <laughs> Corinth was a great model of the Lord Jesus' love for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Because about the time we think we got it right, then we're walking in pride and we're, we're, we're messed up in that area. In all of this, we look at this church, we understand, even in the midst of all that mess, and the Apostle's great love for it, because he understood and knew that it wasn't going to be them that changes, it's going to be the work of God in them that's going to bring about a glorious change. So right in the midst of that, right in the midst of Paul's explanation, he breaks out in this hymn of praise. I I don't believe that you could have been around the Apostle Paul for very long, without hearing this brother just speak out in praise of God. Rather, rather he sang some of this stuff, or rather it's just in writing. I we don't we don't know, but I do believe that there was a song in his heart because he we we see him writing that you know over and over and over throughout Paul's writing. One of our studies sometime I. Could have, would have, should have done it maybe tonight. Just go through his writings and all these words of praise. Just sudden, man, he's writing to the church. All of a sudden, he has a squirrel moment. But that squirrel moment is a good one because suddenly he's drawn to the glory and the praise of God. And he says, "Oh man, how, how great, how vast, how enormous, how unmeasurable, uh, you know, is, is our God? You know, far beyond measuring, you know, fathomed. Man, we can't even understand." And and so and then he jumps back into the correction and the instruction to the church. I love, how, I love the passion of this guy. Listen to what he says here in verse 14. Right in the middle of all of this, he just suddenly goes, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Did you catch that? Through you and you and you and I, he diffuses the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to the world that's around us. My, my wife for and I for a while, we uh, had a little side business of, being distributors for essential oils. We don't do it now, so I feel safe in making this comment. The thing about essential oils, sometimes we would put them in a diffuser, and man, you put that in a few drops of oil in there, and you turn that diffuser on, and it brings this mist up in the air. You walk into the house, and man... Suddenly, it's it's lemon all over the house, or it's lavender all over the house, or the one I really like is apple cinnamon. I don't think that's an essential oil. I think that's a pie. But uh, anyway, that kind of an idea, that kind of a thought of, of just diffusing the very fragrance. You and I are to be the fragrance of Christ to a stinky world, to a stinky world. Some of you might know the term. Uh, maybe I'm showing my age, but it's a term from a few years ago. They call it atosis Okay, <laughs> you know, where, where the house just kind of smells stale. You know, maybe it's because you had fish last night and then you made some bacon this morning. But bacon's always good, uh, and, and and a few other things in the trash there and the house is just kind of. Man, you put on those essential oils. You you get a diffuser going, stuff. Man, suddenly that impacts the whole area. That's what you're to be. The very essence of Christ to the world that's around you. Beloved, the world stinks enough. We don't need to stink with it. We don't need to have attitudes. We don't need to be walking the way of the world so we blend into the world. No, we need to be the essence of Christ to the world that's around us. Verse 15, not only to the world around us, but catch this. We are to God the fragrance of Christ. Both to those who are being saved and also among those who are perishing. God's intent is for you and I to be the essence of Christ. That's His purpose for us. Both to those who are being saved, that's you and I. What do you mean being saved? I thought I was saved. Well, you are, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. That's the reality of, of, of our life in Christ. It is an ongoing process. And so what? Each one of us ought to be the essence of Christ, the, the fragrance of Christ to each other. Situations that we run into, uh, man, all the different personalities, all the different issues that each one of us go through we ought to be the essence of Christ to each other. But also he says to the perishing. Now catch what he says in verse 16. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? What do you mean the aroma of death? That sounds terrible. No. he's saying is our lives lived correctly ought to be a conviction to those that are around us. Not because we're coming in with a holier than now, but because we're living correctly and all the world around us is living incorrectly. The reason they don't invite you to the water cooler anymore is because you no longer laugh at the jokes. The, the reason you're not invited on the weekends to hang out with the, the guys or the gals anymore is because you don't want to go to the same places they go to anymore. The reason sometimes family or friends get uncomfortable is not because you're always thumping them with the Word of God or with the Bible, and you got a great big, huge King James 16, that you thump them with, but it's because your very life is a demonstration of the essence of Christ. And you know what? That's convicting. And some will receive that conviction for years and years and years and we pray and think, man, the Lord, I, I've tried to say the right things, tried to do the right things with, with him or her for all these years and they, they won't even listen to me share my faith. But you know what? One day you continue to live the right way. You continue to, to speak the right way. There's going to come an issue in their life and you're going to be the only Bible that they know. You're going to be the only Christian that, that, that's living right. I have fear in calling names because there might be one name. You know, uh, uh, old, I'll use David. Uh, old David over here, he, he says he's a Christian, but you ought to see the way he lives. I don't, I don't believe in anything in here. But you, you are different. What makes you so different? How come you're not blown away by everything that's going on right now? How come you speak calmly in the midst of all this situation? Or when they come up to you and say, you know what, I've got a loved one and I know that you're a woman of prayer, would you pray for them? And you say, yeah, and let me pray for you too. And suddenly they realize, they see in you the reality and the truth of Christ. Not of a churchgoer. Don't be the church lady, okay? for those of you that know that, or the church man for that instance. Be the essence of Christ. My pastor that was my pastor when I first got into Calvary Chapels, years ago, before he was in the ministry full-time, he worked in a sewing machine manufacturing plant back east someplace. I forget where it was. His job was maintenance. And so he says the great thing about that, as a Christian, I was all over the plant. I'd be working over here on this sewing machine, and I'd hear these people over here talking about this, and these people over here talking about this, and suddenly I would listen purposefully to see an end, a way that I could, again, open up a a conversation for Christ. He said, but you know, the, the most consistent way that I had an opening for Christ is when I hear, heard these two talking over here about this one has a, a daughter who's really, really sick and looks like they might go to the hospital. A little bit later in the day with nobody else around, I could go to that person. Hey, I hear your daughter is sick. I believe in a God who heals. Can I just pray for you and pray for your daughter? And he said, you would be amazed. Now just that simplicity opened the door. I heard the other day that uh, you might be getting laid off. And I know that's tough for everybody. Can I pray for you and your family? Wow, somebody really cares that much? You see, you and I are the fragrance of Christ. God said we were. God said we were. What kind of fragrance are you?
0: We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a church home and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with
1: some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. When we began The Open Word radio ministry, our heart's desire was to get the message of God's kingdom and His grace to as many as possible. We knew that there'd be many who wouldn't come through the church door, but would perhaps tune into a radio program and be challenged and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of God's Word. God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. And yet, as with any ministry endeavor, there are expenses that happen through the production and distribution of these messages. If God has blessed you with the teaching, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in a financial commitment to the ministry of The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help the message of God's grace extend
0: and grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word. Make us more and more.